This podcast is sponsored by Zelle Travel Group. Celebrating 50 years of strong partnerships across the airline industry, Zelle provides interline and reaccommodation services, along with premium travel experiences that take you beyond your destination. Visit Zelle.com. Another week goes by and we see another airline posting what you might call an upside surprise. Last week it was Emirates. This week, Korean Air delivered a terrific 11% operating margin in the off-peak first quarter. How good is 11%? In the same quarter a year ago, the margin was 7%. And the year before that, the margin was just 1%. Seth, were you surprised? Mm, Impressed. Okay, that's the usually voluble Seth Kaplan, our managing partner here at Airline (laughs) Weekly. We'll get him to expand on his answer a bit. We'll also talk about Korean air rival Ajiana. We'll talk about the Egypt air crash, Thai Airways' breakout quarter, Pegasus' troubles, and SpiceJet's continued turnaround. I'm Jason Cottrell, Vice President of Airline Weekly, and you are entering the Airline Weekly Lounge. Thanks for joining us. The narrative for Korean Air has been, for years, a rather negative one. Chinese carriers are overflying its hub in Seoul, they face tough competition from Japan, and Korea's population is declining. Seth, were you impressed with their 11% margin in Q1? I was, uh, you know, for, for the reasons you said and others. Um, you know, they, they improved from a uh, 7% margin in the same quarter a year earlier, so, so a four-point gain, roughly. And, and that was among the better of non-U.S. airlines, U.S. airlines, as, as we all know, uh, for the most part, improved dramatically for a number of reasons, uh, but certainly as, as important as any other, the fact that they got the full benefit uh, of falling fuel prices because the dollar, of course, uh, well, it didn't weaken compared to the dollar, <laughs> whereas uh, airlines in most other countries uh, did suffer adverse uh, currency movements. Uh, Korean Air among them, you know, Korea's won. Uh, did decline uh, year over year during the quarter, although not as dramatically as some others. So that was helpful. Its fuel costs, on the other hand, declined very dramatically. Uh, they, they were down 40 uh, percent year over year, which was among the, the steeper drops in, in the world, you know, particularly for an airline that was uh, that was still growing. It, it grew its uh, ASK capacity 7 percent per quarter. So, yeah, but but uh, added all up. And then you're right for an airline that had been sort of underwhelming us in recent years, uh, really one of the, the standout performers in the world and, and, and a standout. And they want to talk about this as well uh, next, but uh, compared to its main rival as well as Yana. So, uh, you know, not not just the situation where, uh, you know, a rising tide lifted all boats in, in Korea. This this was rather particular to Korean air. So so uh, got to tip your cap to that. When Korean air reported a pretty good third quarter back in November, I know we said it was pretty much the whole story. Um, fuel was pretty much the whole story. Is the fuel story the whole story this time? Well, not the whole story, but uh, but a big part of the story. You know, I mentioned forty percent year over year. So yeah, pr- you know, pretty hard to have numbers like that and not experience some some very significant tailwinds. I mean, no matter what happens, almost with your non-fuel costs and, and your revenue picture, which uh, you know, to be clear, they they uh, felt revenue pressure just just like a lot of airlines around the world. You're going to do pretty well when you have that kind of fuel performance. But you know, that that wasn't the only thing. You know, look, they did a good job uh, you know, in terms of non-fuel cost control. 
They uh, have some other non-airline units that, you know, you might look at them and think they'd be just distractions, but they're 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 doing reasonably well, uh, you know, a maintenance business uh, that uh, that did very well. So, yeah, you know, it, it's it's an airline that has uh, some, well, you know, whether you want to call it luck or not, the good fuel performance certainly uh, is, is is what stands out among all the factors, but it's uh, but it's not the only thing um, because you know there are other airlines that saved money on fuel too and and didn't increase their margins uh, to the degree that Korean did. We mentioned in Airline Weekly how Korean has limited exposure to Gulf carrier overlap. Why is that? Geography. If you run down a list of of all their top long haul markets, most of them are are uh, you know, North America and Europe. JFK, let's say, uh, LAX, Paris, Charles de Gaulle. Uh, these are all places where, where the Gulf carriers, although they might sell you a, a ticket if you don't mind connecting way out of the way, you know, they're not meaningful competitors in, in, in most of those markets. You know, Only the very most price-sensitive traveler would, would put up with, um, with those kinds of itineraries. Even to you know, Australasia, um, you know, places like Sydney and Auckland, where, where Korean Air does fly, uh, the Gulf hubs are, are pretty far out of the way. You know, just to kind of look at a map, the only places where, where they would be a problem is if Korean Air flew a lot, let's say, into, into Africa, which it doesn't do. So, yeah, so, so just, just geographically, uh, an airline that is, 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 is very well protected uh, against the Gulf carriers. And, and um, you know, that, that's, that's a good place to be considering their, their, uh, their rapid growth. Uh, you know, no coincidence that we've seen uh, European carriers, especially in past years, still doing this. And, and U.S. carriers more recently uh, really up in arms about the uh, Gulf carriers, whereas Korean just seems to shrug. Revenues were not great for Korean. How much of that pressure was due to cargo? Oh, uh, a significant percentage. I mean, cargo, um, and this is one of these things that, you know, depending on what happens with cargo going forward, if the slump continues, it, it's it's kind of good news that it, it's, it, it's already fallen so far that its ability to continue to drag down results is less than it was. Uh, you know, we're, we're talking about something that not too long ago was, uh, gosh, nearly a third of total revenues for this airline, uh, now just 20%. Uh, you know, so you start to hit a point where it just becomes less meaningful. Now, I mean, let's be clear, they would love to see it performing better, but th- that is sort of the silver lining that it just sort of loses its ability at some point to continue to uh, drag down the airline. But uh, yeah, not not too many airlines in the world uh, reporting good news when it comes to cargo. Korean Air, uh, uh, certainly among them, and, and an airline that, uh, again, just, just to emphasize, historically one that, that counted cargo as about as important a part of its business as, as any other around the world. Um, the Taiwanese carriers uh, care a lot about cargo. That's that's always been a huge part of their revenues. Uh, some others around the world, uh, you know, Lan, uh, especially in past years. Now, of course, uh, Latam merged with merged with uh, Brazil's Tom, uh, another one that always had uh, just cargo was a huge part of its overall revenues. But Korean Air was always up there with with those airlines. And I think I ask you this every time Korean Air reports, has anything changed regarding a Delta-Korean joint venture? Not as far as any we could tell. I think uh, listeners are probably at least generally familiar with the history there, something that, you know, rather clearly Delta wanted. Uh, Delta loves joint ventures. It has successful ones to, to well, it has two successful ones to sort of greater Europe, you know, one to, to the continent with our friends KLM and Alitalia, another to uh, uh, the UK with Virgin Atlantic. A smaller one with another version, Virgin Australia. 
and so forth about to start one with with uh, Mexico every reason I think that'll be successful De- definitely the big hole in Delta's uh, joint venture map right now is Northeast Asia because it doesn't have a Japanese partner first of all you know American has a JV with with Japan Airlines JAL United has one with on the pond Delta thought its best shot was with Korean it, its sky team partner in Northeast Asia Korean rather clearly just just you know, wasn't interested for those reasons and 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 perhaps others. Ed Bastian just a few weeks ago discussed this on on uh, on that special edition of the podcast when I interviewed him. You know, he said this has to do also with just the fact that Delta when emerged with Northwest became a bigger threat uh, to Korean. But for you know, for all, for for uh, whatever variety of reasons, Korean uh, you know hasn't wanted it. And although. Uh, the worst might be behind them, you know, in terms of their relationship. No reason to think that anything there is uh, is imminent right now. Although, you know, sometimes these things do creep up on you. So, I, I, nor would it surprise me if one day we wake up and hear that they've uh, come to terms on something. Meanwhile, Korean Air's rival Asiana again did not fare as well. Asiana posted a four percent operating margin compared to Korean's eleven percent. Yeah, and and uh, you know, not only do you have that uh, that massive differential there. It's going in the wrong direction. So, so that's not even an improvement. Whereas, uh, you know, Korean, as you mentioned, went from seven you percent know, to eleven percent. Yeah, Asiana actually slipped from oh five and a half percent last year down to four percent. And uh, you know, if you're just looking at the airline itself, not including some of the non-core businesses, the four percent is is even optimistic. So yeah, this is an airline that. Well, first of all, its reputation still has issues. You had that that incident in San Francisco years back where the rear wheels were sheared off a triple seven a couple people died on the ground if, if something like that had happened to an airline with which people globally are familiar with lots for lots of other you know positive reasons that airline might not suffer so much but you know unfortunately if you ask Americans, uh, uh, you know what they know about that airline. For some of them, you know that that's going to be about the only thing they know about it. Now, of course, with with time, memories fade. But um, you know, it's something that's just it's, it's still out there. But you know, a huge reason for the differential in, in results is that we mentioned a minute ago, Korean Air, uh, with that forty percent year-over-year decline in fuel outlays, uh, Asiana less than half of that decline, just nineteen percent. Certainly, that a major reason for the differential. Also, Asiana faces new competition in the form of uh, Korean Air's low-cost unit. It's called Jin Air. To whatever extent that's helping Korean or it, that would be accretive to profits for, for Asiana. It's uh, new competition. Uh, an airline that, uh, you know, again, one of those that, that stands out as, as among the minority uh, that not only did it not expand its margins dramatically year over year during the first quarter, uh, actually lost ground despite uh, spending so much less on fuel. Ajana is feeling demand pressure on its European routes because of terrorism. Are you hearing that with any other airlines outside Europe? Well, yeah, the, the Northeast Asian airlines in general have expressed that. You know, Japan is, is another place where the tourism tends to be very sensitive to these kinds of things. Uh, the, the Japanese airlines had mentioned after Paris after the attacks there and, and since reiterated that, yeah, meaningful percentages of people there have have, have avoided Europe. So um, that does seem to be, broadly speaking, a region that feels the impact perhaps more deeply and also for a longer duration uh, than other places, uh, let's say North America, where, yeah, it, it matters, but bookings tend to rebound uh, more quickly than they do from Northeast Asia. Why is that? 
Yeah, it's it. You know, you can. You might not know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's uh. You know, I guess cultural. Part of it is you know from uh, some parts of the world and from from Northeast Asia in particular, you have uh, you know more tour group kind of travel, um, group travel where. You, you know, it's going to be more of a yes or no kind of thing. You know, somebody's making a decision about whether to run a trip or not. And and if the answer is no, then, then uh, you know, a lot of bookings impacted by that. Whereas, you know, North Americans, let's say, t- tend to travel uh, to Europe uh, independently in greater numbers than the Northeast Asians. So, you know, pr- probably some combination of that and just, you know, the, just the different mentalities. Yeah, yeah. All right, staying in Asia, Thai Airways posted a great first quarter, 17% operating margin. Q1 is a peak quarter in Thailand, but nonetheless, this was a departure for the carrier compared to recent years. Yeah, this was an airline that for most of its history had actually been quietly among the world's most consistently profitable airlines. I think there was a period it was like 39 of 40 years that they had been um, profitable. I mean, never, never among the world's most profitable airlines, but consistently in the black. And uh, yeah, then then they slipped and all of a sudden uh, they struggled to break even for, for the past several years uh, and, and they found their footing again. Uh, yeah, look, some of this is luck. Um, yeah, you know, Thailand depends on tourism. Uh, the traffic is very directional there. I mean, it's all demand originating from abroad to Thailand. And it's a country that, ha- you know, has periodic political instability. Uh, you know, unfortunately, terrorism is sometimes related to political instability. Um, and it had suffered from some of that in previous years and, and is now viewed globally as a, you know, as a reasonably stable place again, particularly uh, in the context of some of the other things happening around the world. You know, if you're going to travel abroad right now, it's a place where in the minds of some people, at least they might see it as as um, as a safer place to travel than uh, uh, than Europe just because of, of what's happened recently in, in, in those respective places. So um, so there's that. Uh, but the airline has done a lot to restructure itself. Um, you know, it has a, uh, uh, a CEO who's taken very decisive steps um, by all appearances, you know, kind of a, a better managed airline than it once was. Um, an airline that sort of, uh, for a lot of its history, I mentioned how well it did, you know, a lot of that was at least partly luck, you know, partly just the appeal of Thailand. You know, it was an airline operating in a part of the world where where airlines tended to do rather well. Uh, Southeast Asia, you know, back before the Gulf carriers uh, emerged on the world stage and so forth. And so, um, yeah, an airline that that no longer can take that for granted uh, and, and to its credit is is not taking that for granted. Another country suffering from terrorism is, of course, Turkey. And unsurprisingly, there are two major carriers there feeling the effects. We talked about Turkish Airlines' difficulties last week, but Pegasus took things to a whole new level, reporting a negative 24% margin last week. Yeah, and and not too surprising when you think about uh, the fact that Turkish Airlines, at least a big part of its business, is, is sixth freedom traffic you know, people connecting in Istanbul between two other points. Uh, now, we've heard reports about people who don't even want to connect in Istanbul, but by and large, the impact of all the instability in Turkey on that sixth freedom traffic is just not going to be as big as the impact on, uh, you know, inbound tourism to Turkey. Pegasus as a, you know, short haul airline, you know, more of a short haul airline, I should say. An airline that although it sells connections, you know, a lot of what it does is carry people into into the country. You can imagine that that they would feel it um, more than uh, than Turkish would. By the way, they do they do a they do have a big domestic flying business uh, too. It's Turkey, obviously, a huge uh, domestic market, a country of 
what, 70 million people or, or so. Um, and sure enough, they said that's fine. But yeah, it, it's just pretty impossible to have all the negative things happening in Turkey and a currency that has that has slid precipitously. Um, that slide partly related probably to uh, to the instability as well as just you know, the fact that most emerging market currencies have, you know, have, have had their issues over the past uh, a year or two. And, and um, yeah, it, it would be uh, pretty hard for them to not face what they're facing. And, you know, Turkish Airlines has has really uh, uh, kept the screws on them in terms of, uh, you know, not letting them just kind of grow under its nose. You know, Turkish itself and other airlines have grown a lot at Pegasus' uh, airport of choice serving Istanbul. It's actually uh, Sabia Gokcan Airport uh, across the Bosporus from from the well, you might say the more famous part of Istanbul, the uh, the European side. Um, you know, for a while it kind of had that airport to itself, not anymore. Um, so it's competing capacity, and not only that, uh, it's capacity. It's just kind of making the airport more congested. So Pegasus itself uh, can't grow uh, in, in the same way that it that it once could. Pegasus is nonetheless bullish. They still expect to make a profit for all of 2016. They do. Um, and, well, negative 24% margin for the first quarter is not a not a great way to start off on that path. Uh, but but it, it, it is a, a rather seasonal airline. So, um, you know, if things stabilize and if they have an excellent summer, um, then uh you know, then I suppose anything's possible. But, uh, you know, hard, hard to be too optimistic in in the uh in the short term uh, this for an airline that uh you know for a while was it was was really uh emerging as as uh as one as a potential star in the world so you really uh you really feel for them you were all over the news last week talking about the tragic egypt air crash this was a vulnerable airline to begin with and now it's enduring this what's the outlook for egypt air well, the answer to that question is going to depend partly on uh, on, on what happened here. I mean, there's there's obviously no good outcome, and, and the the answer won't change the reality for the uh, uh, the poor families and those people. But you know, was it was it terrorism or or, or not? Sort of the, you know, everybody's early guess was uh, was yes. Uh, you know, based partly uh, on on the fact that. You know, just just when an airplane just just falls from from cruise altitude into the sea, generally something rather dramatic has happened, and you know there wasn't bad weather or anything like that in the area. But then, yeah, you know, look, I mean, partly it's it's uh, this is Egypt Air. It's an airline that's spent parts of its day in Eritrea, um, which you know ICAO has cited as a country having issues um, in terms of aviation safety. Part of its day in Tunisia um, and 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 in Egypt itself. So. You know, frankly, uh, you know, part of those guesses had to do with, uh, you know, with with all that. Now, you know, even if it was a bomb, um, you know, where where was it brought aboard? Did somebody penetrate the uh, security at Paris Charles de Gaulle, which would be, gosh, uh, pretty much no precedent for for in, in recent decades for somebody getting a bomb aboard at a developed world airport? Or was it loaded in one of those other places? And as the days go by with no claim of responsibility, you know, we kind of have to re- remind ourselves that there is such a thing as a fire or an explosion. Not intention. It was not intentional. I've seen the reports of, uh, uh, you know, seemingly credible reports uh, uh, that that smoke alarms went off and so forth. Uh, now, of course, that could have been the result of of a bomb that uh, didn't, you know, immediately blow the plane apart, uh, but started a started a fire. Um, you know that 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 did disable the plane, but it could have been, you know, something else. I mean, look, it's the well, here 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 we are. Uh, 
20th anniversary of value jet flight 592 this month right there you go that was that was a, that was an unintentional uh, explosion you know if somehow that's what it uh, that's what this was that would obviously have broader implications for well who knows for airbus for for other airlines flying uh um you know perhaps a320s if it, you know if, if it were something you know something systemic which there's no indication right now that it is but you know and and perhaps there would not be as much of a problem for Egypt Air itself. Uh, you know, if in fact it's something that's seen as something that could have uh, happened to any airline. But I mean, yeah, we're we're talking about an airline that's um, uh, well, said a minute ago you feel for Pegasus. I mean, there's almost no airline that you, that you feel worse for than Egypt Air. Um, uh, you know, an airline that you know a half decade ago looked like it might have been sort of turning the corner financially. Uh, I mean, albeit with limited disclosures, but, you know, seemed seem to be kind of getting its footing, you know, had it modernized this product. Um, then you had the Arab Spring and you just had everything else that's happened there. Of course, the uh, bombing of the Russian airliner out of Sharm el-Sheikh, not sp- specific to Egypt there, but, you know, just, just something that happened in Egypt and then really decimated inbound tourism there. The hijacking a few months ago, thankfully, nobody was hurt, but aboard an Egypt air flight. And uh, uh, now this, you know, it'll... it'll uh, It'll obviously take them some time to uh, to regain their footing uh, now for this reason, in, in addition to all the other things that are already not going well for them. Okay, and this next one, I purposely held it so we could finish on an upbeat note. India's SpiceJet barely made a profit in Q1, but it was the second quarter in a row it's made a profit. Are they plucky or just lucky? <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, you know, usually, uh, some of each, right. Um, I've said that a few times this show, right. But that's, you know, but that's the truth to be clear. They're not, uh, they haven't joined the ranks of the world's most profitable airlines, but sure, you know, for an airline that we weren't sure was going to survive uh, much more than a year ago, it, impressive, right. Uh, certainly, yeah, the luck, I mean, look, falling fuel prices played a, played a huge role. What are these numbers? Yeah. It, it uh, their ASK capacity grew, uh, 54% year over year. And their fuel prices, their fuel costs went up just 15%. Yeah, so, so that you know, obviously you're able to have rather profitable growth when, uh, uh, you know, when you're paying so much less per gallon for fuel. But and and there's some good things going on in India. I mean, first of all, their currency is held up better than a lot of others around the world. Others now are recovering just in recent weeks, last month or two. But um, you know, India during the first quarter was doing fine uh, currency-wise compared to most others. Demand there has has uh, been growing very rapidly. I mean, look. Fares are down, um, but you have just across the industry very, very full planes. Uh, you know, SpiceJet, a ninety percent load factor. So that that uh, in and of itself doesn't tell you anything because you know fares can be still too low to profit. But in this case, um, very high load factors with just high enough fares managed to to break even. But look, I mean, it did that despite um, all the problems with being a, an, an airline in India. You know, you're still dealing with just in most places, awful infrastructure and, and extremely high taxes and, and all the bureaucracy. And, and you know, perhaps most of all, uh, look, the, the, the very fact that you could have talked about SpiceJet perhaps uh, disappearing speaks to the fact that SpiceJet is, is, uh, um, is an airline that has to fend for itself, unlike Air India. Um, yeah, everybody has to compete against that. Um, it's an airline that wouldn't exist, you know, if not for, uh, for, for, uh, government support and, and, and protection. Um, and, and so, you know, everybody has to compete against that. It's not easy to do. Um, so yeah, you got a hand to spice jet, although 
to be clear, it has a long way to go to, to, to be in the league of, of Indigo, which is clearly India's, India's leading airline uh, in, in, in many ways, you know, at least on the, on the short haul front, um, a, 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 a very profitable airline, you know, SpiceJet, uh, yeah, it, it broke even. And, and uh, you know, you, you want to see that, that positive trajectory continue before it can be uh, you know, a truly sustainable company for the long term. Seth, I appreciate your insights as always. All right, that's a wrap for episode 41. We'll see you back here next week for another installment of the Airline Weekly Lounge. Oh, and don't forget to review us on iTunes. Do I have to? Somebody does. 